in Lakeview, it's such a blessing to have you in God's house with us today. And it's also a blessing to have those that are watching online, both from our Iowa Park, Vernon campuses, and, and all around. Would you join me? Would you put your hands together and show your love to those that are on the live stream? God bless you. We welcome you. We've got people that watch from other states and all, really all around the world. And today, we're so blessed uh, to have, I, I'm happy to have my family here. This is my nephew, Reese, who many of you have met before. Uh, he serves in Serving Orphans Worldwide, and his wife, Susan, is with us as well. And this is also my family in Christ, Reagan, who's here all the way from the DR Congo. And uh, just, I, I'm so grateful to you, church. Uh, we have partnered with the Ministry of Serving Orphans Worldwide. We figured it up for, well, it's been a lot of years now, about seven years. And, uh, you know, it's nice to get to see where the impact is happening. And so they just happened to be here. Reese is actually here to pick up my mom. Uh, I'm sad. My, my sister won uh, paper, rock, scissors, so my mom's going to go back and live in Tyler for a little while. Uh, but we sure have enjoyed having her with us, and we know she'll be back to visit many, many times. But uh, it just so happened that Reagan was going to be in the country during this week, and so we just worked it out quickly that they would come and just share some testimony of what God's been uh, doing because of your faithfulness. So would you put your hands together and welcome Reese and Reagan, and you guys can take it from there. Thank you so much, Daniel. Yeah, you know, we had told Mamaw before to, if, if you know, safe word to call and say, I want to play 42, her favorite dominoes game, and I would come up here and get her. So we're going to go play 42 back in Tyler later. But um, now I'm just so excited to be back here at Lakeview Church. Um, I think it was 2016, first visit with Pastor Gennady from Ukraine before everything just went berserk over there. And um, I just wanted to come and thank you guys. On, on this side of eternity, you're not going to realize just how many lives you've saved and had a, a part in helping around the world. So we're going to update you on a few things this morning. But um, if we look at the next slide here, we're now serving orphans worldwide is now up to 78 partner homes. We've got to update this slide here in 38 countries. And um, <clears throat> I think in 2016, we were around 45. And so the, the impact has grown. We, we feel like time is short. I don't know, if he, you know, we're not promised tomorrow. And, and um, I, I was listening to this podcast, and this doctor was being interviewed, and he was telling the story about this recurring dream he kept having where he was on the sidewalk at the base of this big skyscraper, maybe in New York or somewhere, and eggs just kept falling. And him and his colleagues had these gloves on, and they were, scrambling trying to catch these eggs before they cracked on the sidewalk and um, you know he was talking about medic the medical world and sickness and preventing disease and but I had kind of this Holy Ghost moment and I thought you know this is like that's how the church should should view our work as well you know and that's what um, children's ministry should should be about and that's what serving orphans worldwide is about and this next week when you do the whatever it's called summer summer blast I mean that's you know the church shouldn't just be here to to turn the lights on unlock the door and 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 wait for sick people to come to us you know we we've got to get to children and and get there early and and plant seeds of the gospel in their heart and um so that we can deal with you know the enemy's not going to be in a position to push us over the over the edge later in life and I think it's awesome that you guys have such a heart for children's ministry it's like taking over the whole floor up there. It's awesome. So thank you guys for what you do in your heart. Um, I want to update you on two specific programs uh, that over these past years. You know, you've really been involved a lot in Ukraine and DR Congo. And no matter what you think you know or don't know about the, the chaos that's going on in Ukraine and Russia and all the, the, the craziness and corruption and media I think there was a false coup yesterday like it's just it never ends it's just nuts but a lot of people are dying a lot of good people a lot of friends of mine um, personal connections and uh, there's no doubt that like evangelical Christians um, the small church of God footprint over there is, has suffered extreme persecution and been driven out of their their cities in the east and uh, some good friends of ours that you I don't know, how many of you have been here when Gennady came, passed through before? So about, yeah, about 25%. So, you know, his city of Mariupol was completely destroyed, as you know. Slavyansk, another city in the north, was completely destroyed. 
um, in several churches, and they've been homeless the last year doing chaplain work and getting aid, and it's, it's been exhausting, you know, and some of his sons have died, um, and so we've been kind of pulling our resources together, and next slide, I want to show you this property here. Uh, as of just June, just this month, we closed a deal to acquire a, a property in western Ukraine to help support multiple ministries, but it's going to be deeded to Gennady's church ministry the same way it was set up in Mariupol. So the, the Pilgrim Republic Children's Rehab residents that are left and some other children's homes are going to come and live on this campus. There, you can't see it all here, but there's five buildings. Um, it's in the beautiful Carpathian Mountains and very safe. Um, it's about two hours from the Romanian border. And so if, if anything were to happen, you know, evacuation would be easy. They wouldn't have to rush through Lviv like they did last time and, and this massive sea of humanity. Um, so it, it's going to be kind of a, a refuge for them. And I'm going to go in October to Ukraine, and I invited Daniel to join me, but Victoria said he needs a little bit more life insurance. <laughs> Sorry, the joke was way funnier in the first service. They were reading my mind as I was about to say it. But um, no, we, we can't wait to, to kind of dedicate this property. They're going to do their first children's camp in July. So they're bringing together multiple ministries. But just when they were kind of getting off the ramp of orphan care in their city, and they had created this big adoption movement, now there's more abandoned and orphaned children than ever that they're encountering, um, that they're evacuating from some of these frontline towns. And so this is going to be their new home. We're excited. I'm still really trying to raise $310,000 this year, which is daunting to make sure that this is move-in ready. They get out of debt. Um, it hadn't stopped them. They're, they were sending me video clips. They were out with their acoustic doing worship around a campfire, you know, eating some bread. And they were like, hey, who needs electricity? We're good. So they're, But we, we want to get them to that next level and, and get it functional by the end of the year here. Um, and then I want to move on to DR Congo, and you're probably feeling sorry for Reagan, who's had to sit up here this whole time. <laughs> but um, I want to introduce you to Reagan. Um, he's, he's a humble man of few words, but he's an, a very effective leader. Um, he's been in the jungles, in the, in the war zones. Um, you, you might have remembered a long-haired guy from Georgia named Coleman that came with us once before and likes to take all the glory. This is the man doing all the work, all the hard work over there. Um, Reagan is, uh, his father is a, is a pastor and overseer in the country, and he's raising two children in Goma with his wife. Um, and I mean, they're, as if things weren't bad enough in, in DRC, um, since the 90s, really since after the Rwanda stuff happened, a lot of that tribal violence and um, genocidal mindset has kind of spilled across the border, and I think there's 122 militias that are active around this man's city on any given day, and um, I mean, it. If, if you go back from when it started till now, we were calculating over three times the number of fatalities in his country than happened in the Holocaust, and you, you know, you, it's we've kind of been, been desensitized to it over here, like there's already you know, we, we're ready to move on to the next thing, but they're still dealing with it every day up there. And if you look at North Kivu province and some of those other provinces, they believe that that's the highest concentration of widows and orphans anywhere on the planet. Um, if, you, if you live to 45, you're an old man. So, I mean, it's a, <clears throat> it's a crazy, unique place with unique challenges. And, you know, Reagan and his family have, are serving with the gospel and meeting needs. Um, why don't we flip to this next slide here? Reagan, I, I want you to tell us a little bit. We started this project with you guys in Goma, and then this last year we just launched a new project in a, a village called Bunia, which has um, kind of become a hub for refugees fleeing these little jungle villages. And tell us a little bit about what's on the screen here and how you guys got involved over there. Okay. Uh, what you see here is a refugee camp, and uh, in this city of Bunia, we have three big refugee camps like that. 
And uh, in each refugee camp, we can have like a 14,000 family. So in one small house, you see they, they, they can fit one, one big family. And uh, in this city of Bunya is between, uh, is, a, is, a, is a city where people found safety among the big bush. I don't know, it's a huge bush in the jungle. And uh, people found refugee in this city of Bunya, and most of villagers came to find safety in Bunya, and that's where we launched the second project in our region. And uh, it's now four months, but in four months we we have now 44 kids. That's an average of uh, 10 kids per month. We rescue 10 kids per month, and we choose the most vulnerable. But we have so many kids to rescue in that area. In that region, people are killed every every single day. Like last week, they killed 50 people in one night. And they not kill them by shoot them by gun, but they just kill them with machetes. That feels so sorry for... It's so, 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 so hard to handle the, the situation there for the orphan's kids. Yeah, uh, on this list, these kids you see here, his name is Raphael. And uh, Raphael uh, celebrated his birthday, uh, uh, I think, one week before I left Africa. And uh, I was there at the orphanage in that city, Bunya. He's one of our kids in the new orphanage that we just launched. And uh, as I told you, most of our kids on this orphanage are extreme vulnerable. And uh, Raphael is one of them, and uh, he celebrates his birthday. And I tried to 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 to, to organize a birthday party for Raphael, but uh, what happened is is uh, he was standing to three years, so I took uh, three candles and put it on a piece of cake on our way. So we uh, tried to gather other kids to sing for him, happy birthday, happy birthday. But the strange thing is, when Raphael saw the fires from the candle, he, he, he fainted. He was traumatized to death because he watched his both parents get burned in front of his eyes. So he watched his both parents get burned. So it was so sad to see that. And I was, I, I feel guilty. I wondered how, why, how did this happen to this kid? But that is one of the stories that happened. Most of our kids watch their parents get killed with machetes. So, 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 so hard for this. And you know, one thing that's striking, um, yeah, there's a lot of, like, the old in infomercials with the, you know, the sadness and, and just the depravity and hopelessness of the situation. You go to a Servant Orphans Worldwide project, you're going to see this. You know, despite so many challenges, the children have hope in their heart and joy. And, um, you know, we, we don't want to just give them an, an extra plate of food. You know, they're, they're being shown the love of Christ. We're, we're getting some professionals involved to, to deal with some of the trauma healing and um, kind of move them into a place where they can, they can dream about a future and and, you know, the plan A for every child is a family. And in some cases, you know, adoption's possible. But there's 153, 154 estimated children without a forever family. And less than 1% of those are even in a country that participates in, like, international adoption or has a strong, like, you know, safety net for where that would even be possible. So, you know, nobody want. I wouldn't want my children living in an orphanage, but... It is the last line of defense. Um, otherwise, they would be in the refugee camp, and there's, there's parasites, there's disease, there's abuse, there's violence, as you can imagine. And, I, I mean, some of the children wouldn't make it to see five years old, ten years old, if it weren't for some of these programs. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the UN, these big camps, or it's the church. You know, and, and we know that the church has the people and the resources to deal with this around the world when we come together. So next slide. We, this is just a little glimpse at um, the dedication of this new property that 
you can see it's a beautiful building. I mean, it's it's a literal. Uh, it, we didn't want to make it too nice to be a target, but I mean, that's one of the nicest homes in, in Africa that it's brand new, um, built very cheap as well, and, but it's good quality. So those are some of the children that you can see that have been taken into the home within the last few months, really two months. This was taken in April, I think. So anyway, once again, thank you all. I'm, I want to ask Reagan if you would just say a prayer of blessing over the special church and these people um, in whatever language you're comfortable with. I know you, you speak quite a few, and English was not your first language. So, um, well, would you do that? And, and then we're going to ask Pastor Daniel to come up. You know, beyond all of these pictures, there's hope. And uh, you guys are doing the, the big part of the work and um, I can't thank you enough. I'm here just to say thank you for what you are doing for our ministry. You can never imagine the impact that you are bringing in our community and the life of these kids. Amen? May God bless you for that. Let me pray. Eternal Dieu, nous te sommes infiniment reconnaissants pour ce que tu es en train de faire et d'accomplir dans notre ministère, dans la vie de ces enfants, et surtout pour ton Saint-Esprit qui continue à œuvrer et à convaincre son peuple et ton peuple, Seigneur, à faire encore et encore dans ton ministère, Seigneur. Éternel, tu nous dis dans ta sainte Bible que la vraie religion, c'est celle qui est là pour les orphelins et le verre, Seigneur. Et ces gens ont compris ça et ils ont pris ça en leur possession, Seigneur, et ils ont mis ça en pratique. Et nous te remercions pour ça, Seigneur. Merci pour tout ce que tu es en train de faire, Seigneur. Merci pour ce que tu vas encore faire et encore dans la vie de ces enfants. Merci encore pour ce que tu vas encore faire dans la vie de ton peuple, Seigneur. Merci, Seigneur. J'ai pris qu'une pluie de bénédiction, Père, sur ce genre, Seigneur. Que tu sois là comme un père, comme ils sont là comme un père pour ces enfants, Seigneur. Continue à pouvoir avoir besoin de chacun de Seigneur. Et que ton Saint-Esprit, Seigneur, continue à parler et à convaincre tout et chacun de nous. Ouvre le cœur, Seigneur. Ouvre leur, 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 leur créativité, Seigneur, à faire encore grand chose pour contribuer à la gloire de ton royaume, Seigneur. Merci, Seigneur, pour ton peuple. Bénis tout et chacun de nous et bénis notre séjour ici. Au nom de notre Seigneur Jésus-Christ, nous sommes en train de prier. Amen. 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 One more time, would you show your love and honor to Reagan and Reese? Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. And I want to thank you again, church, just uh, for your kindness. Your, your generosity is what makes so much of this possible. And, uh, you know, I, you're so kind, Reagan, to, to say we're making a big impact. But you're on the front lines, and, and we pray for your protection and your provision so that uh, the Lord can keep using people, good, good men and women like are serving and serving orphans worldwide uh, to literally save lives and uh, also change eternities. And uh, this morning's message uh, can really coincide with the, the, meth, the message and, and mission of Serving Orphans Worldwide. And it's uh, part four of our series on the Beatitudes. It's entitled, Blessed Are Those Who Hunger and Thirst. And, you know, if we're really honest with ourselves, uh, we sometimes don't remember how blessed we are until we hear about what's going on or see what's going on in other parts of the world. Uh, we're a very blessed nation, the, the, the most blessed in the world, I believe. And I just want to speak this morning uh, just that we would have a heart to understand what Jesus was sharing in his great message, the Sermon on the Mount, where he started in these Beatitudes. And uh, this week we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. If you'll look with me at your message notes or just at the word with me, where he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And there's a great theologian by the name of Bono uh, from the gospel group U2. <laughs> That's not true. I, they used to tour with the Gaithers. Uh, he was so successful, and they, they were incredibly successful. As a musical group, uh, even early on, uh, they had a net worth of one and a half billion dollars. 
And Bono himself being the, the front man and, and key songwriter was worth over $700 million. And that's actually an, an old statistic. They're, they're more wealthy and more successful now than then. But at that time was about the time that he composed a song, uh, which is in your notes. I put the, the language there, the line from it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, a man that popular, that wealthy, that successful was saying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I think many of us could relate to uh, needing to hunger and thirst about the right things. We think we've done so well or got so much and something is still lacking. I would like to look at that same scripture. It's not in your notes, but it'll be on the screen. Matthew 5, 6, in two other translations. In the Living Bible, it says, Happy are those who long to be just and good. You long for this. For they shall be completely satisfied. And I like these translations because it really highlights that word satisfied. This is what we want to be with our life. We want to know that what we've done makes a difference in eternity, that it actually is impacting, changing, and, and even saving lives. And in the NCV version, the New Century version, it says those who want to do right more than anything else are happy because God will fully satisfy them. This is uh, really the, the search for you know, any Christian is to live a life that glorifies God and that satisf satisfies us, that makes us feel fulfilled in what we're doing. And uh, there's a man that I thought of you know, in the Bible, kind of like Bono, very successful, very wealthy. Uh, King Solomon, uh, statistically, or you know, uh, percentage-wise, might be the wealthiest man who's ever lived. And most successful man who's ever lived. And he wrote an entire book, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is funny because Reese and I used to, as kids, he always would talk about that was his favorite book of the Bible, which I thought, what a weirdo. Uh, because Ecclesiastes is not a real happy book. It's, it's heavy. And it's a man coming to the end of his life and has done so much and accumulated so much and saying, what was the point of most of this? And I'm going to read just some passages in Ecclesiastes, if you'll follow along. He first started out trying to figure everything out. And just thought, if I can learn enough about life, maybe I'll better understand it and will have a better life. And in Ecclesiastes 1.18, he wrote, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Much wisdom, written by the man who the Bible calls the wisest man to have ever lived. And the more knowledge, he writes, the more Grief In Ecclesiastes 12.12, 12, he wrote, Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Some of y'all want to save that verse when you go back to school or college or whatever. Take that, professors. Uh, but really, the, the truth here is true, that we'll never learn enough, we'll never know enough to, to feel like we're doing enough with our life if we're not doing what we were created to do. Then when he got past just you know, knowing everything, he literally tried everything. He, he confesses it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. In church, he had the resources to do that. He said, I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. He says, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. He'll say phrases like that over and over. And, uh, in that same chapter, just a few verses later, it brought him to this point where he said, so I hated life. And some of us who live in the most blessed nation in the world might have said this about our life before. I hated my life. Because the work that is, un, that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. There's that phrase again. A chasing after the wind. And you know how sad that, that he hated all the things. He goes on to say, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them. He said, all this, I'm going to die someday and I can't take this with me. I must leave them to the one who comes after me. There's another scripture I want to read. It's not in your notes. If, Ecclesiastes 5, where he writes, Whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't this the truth? Because whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. 
As goods increase, and hopefully we learn from this, he says as goods increase, so do those who consume them. It's why when people win the lottery, they suddenly discover cousins they never knew existed. Because the more you got, the more people who want it. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? And after he had tried to learn everything, and then to just try everything, when he found no satisfaction in just accumulating wealth or wisdom, he tried to find happiness in other people. And we do this. We run to relationships with good intentions, but maybe not the best results. In Ecclesiastes 4, 8, he writes, There was a man alone. And he knew that was sad. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. He just worked so much so he was alone. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he knew you can't be content with wealth. Maybe it's being alone that, that is the problem. And, and so he wanted to not be lonely. And I'll tell you, Solomon was not lonely. And you can look at another book of the Bible that describes talking about King Solomon. This is not in the notes, but 1 Kings 11.3 says that he had 700 wives. I wanted you to read it. I'm not just making this up. He was not a mythological person. He really existed. And he really had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Which, kids, you can ask your parents what that is later. And it says, and his wives led him astray. Yeah, you think? And I heard a pastor, we get asked difficult questions as pastors sometimes. And there was a pastor who someone asked him, why did he have 700 wives? And I think he gave a real heartfelt answer. He said, I believe that he had 700 wives because he was searching for something. He was hoping that just one day he would wake up and just one of them would wake up in a good mood. (laughs) I didn't say it. That was another pastor. Get mad at him. I'll give you his email to... Send it to him. It's Reese at so, sowww.org. Uh, but after he finally looked for meaning in all these things that ended up meaningless, he found the truth, and he speaks of it in Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. He says, and the last and final word is this, and saints, I wouldn't have to preach near as long as, or near as many sermons if we could just get this, myself included. The final word is this, fear God. And we sometimes will cringe from preaching like that. It tells us we need to really reverence God. Because fear doesn't mean the same thing in our culture that it really means. It talks about an honoring. To say, not, not I'm afraid of you. I'm afraid of losing you. You are so important to me. I don't want to do anything to disrupt our relationship. And if you really want to know how to fear God, I love when the Bible gives us the answer right after uh, we, we have a question. Fear God means do what he tells you. And that's it. I couldn't say it any better. Good night, everybody. But y'all, if we would get this, if we would live this, it would change our life. And we would be, begin to realize that righteousness. And then it says when we do this, eventually God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to its hidden intent, whether it's good or evil. And don't we oftentimes intend? We always want to get to the point that we are doing. I, I meant to do better, but if, if we just mean it, never do it. It's meaningless. And so we, we want to not just hunger and thirst. We want to be filled. We want to live a life that is satisfactory to God. And I love the quote by an actual, he actually is a theologian, St. Augustine, where he said, God, thou hast formed us for thyself. Remember, you were made for God. God was not made for you. We were made to serve him, not the other way around. But he says, we were formed for thyself, and our hearts are restless. And many of us could relate to that word of just never feeling at peace, never feeling like it's enough or we're good enough, because we are restless until we find rest in him, in the Lord. So let's talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because when you're hungry and thirsty, you'll feel restless. You'll, You'll be hangry. You'll have all these things going on. And so I want this for you. I want this for the body of Christ. I I hope you can can just hear my heart that that, uh, this is my prayer for us, church. Like it says in Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor. And it doesn't say everybody who tries to find, you know, prosperity and honor and and even a successful life will get righteousness and love. You've got to seek the right thing in the right order. We have to have the right priorities, and then we'll really find that life that matters and that that prosperity that is meaningful, and and we will live a life that honors God. So why don't people? 
Because this happens to Christians. Jesus was talking to people who were following him, that would listen to him in this sermon. He said, you know, blessed are you that will hunger and thirst after righteousness because you'll be filled. So why don't people seek the things of God? Why don't even believers, Christians, seek these things? I believe there's two reasons. The first one, if you'll write this down, is because we fill up on the wrong things. You're not hungry when you're full. But how many of you know you can fill up on things that aren't necessarily good for you? Anybody ever eat gas station food? It's a beautiful mystery. Is it food or is it not? Uh, But it's delicious, whatever it is. And I believe at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we get to heaven, they will serve also burritos. (laughs) Hallelujah. Don't mess with my theology. Let me live in ignorance. But I love those things. And I remember an instant several years ago where I was hungry and I had a long day and I'd stopped to fill up at the gas station and I went in and saw it in its glorious little wrapper there and I bought two of them. I didn't even ask my wife what we were having for dinner, if she'd cooked yet, but it was about dinner time but I was so hungry and impatient that I just devoured two also burritos and they devoured me later. But when I got home, the sad thing is I got home and I was stuffed. You know, I just stuffed my face with, with these fried delicacies but I got, I got to the house, and you know what? My wife had fixed my favorite meal. I didn't ask. I didn't, I didn't bother to check with her. And it was sad to me because I didn't enjoy it the same I normally would because I was already full on something that had not been prepared by the one that I love and that had not been prepared to give me love. You know, it just, uh, it, it, it's a truth that happens to a lot of us. We fill up on the wrong things, and we need to be careful that we're not afraid to do the right things and to take the right things in our heart, even if they're hard, even if, you know, eating right can be difficult. And Moses is a great example of this, and he's spoken of in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, 25. It says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. We have to choose what will we fill our life with, what God wants or what we want. And in Isaiah 55... You know, I just, I want you to hear the voice of God. And literally, this is God speaking. It says, the Lord says, all those who are thirsty, come and drink. Those of you who don't have money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on something that is not real food? Why work for something that doesn't really satisfy you? And then I just pray that we all could lean in and just the Holy Spirit would help this word come alive to hear God say, listen closely and you will eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the rich food that satisfies. Does anybody believe God's way is the best way? And his word, his word is the bread of life. If, if we'll eat it, if, if we'll, you know, really get it inside of us. But Why is it then? I believe a lot of people believe this. I think they really know this truth, but why don't they live it out? And I think it's the second thing because they've never experienced the goodness of God. And another way you could say this is they don't really understand how good it really is. They don't fully appreciate it. They've heard it, but they haven't personally experienced it to fully realize it. You know, there's a lot of things that we can't appreciate until we've experienced it for ourselves. I used to be really uneasy about sushi. Any honest people in here, you're not so sure about sushi. Because I don't even like my vegetables to be raw. My mama's in the room and she raised me right. I didn't eat a vegetable unless it was covered in cornmeal and deep fried. Hallelujah. (laughs) So then you're going to feed me a cucumber shoved next to some avocado and then some meat that hadn't been cooked? That mess with this East Texas boy. But don't worry. They'll wrap it all in seaweed. Do you know what that is? That's weeds that just grow in the sea. Sounded gross. But then I learned about cooked sushi. A buddy of mine said, you've got to try this. It's called tempura. Anybody ever heard tempura? That's Hebrew for delicioso. It changed my perspective on sushi. And once I got started, you know, I just began to love everything. Actually, my wife and I went out uh, this Friday and, and, and we chose sushi. We love it. And we had just not experienced it. And we had not experienced it the right way. And there's a lot of people that I think reject the things of God. And it's not God's fault. 
people have misrepresented the gospel. They've misrepresented. They say, I'll talk to people sometimes and they're like, I just don't like church. And when I ask them about what they mean, I'm like, well, yeah, I wouldn't like that either. You're going to the wrong church or you're doing it wrong. You've got the wrong perspective. And until we really experience things the way God intended it, the way his word tells it, uh, we, we won't fully appreciate the experience of the goodness of God. Psalms 34, 8 says it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is saints. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And in Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul prays this prayer. I pulled from the verse before this. In verse 17, he says, I pray that you, and then he says all these things in verses 18 and 19, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And if you just start to think about how much Jesus loves you, it'll change you. And he goes on to say even more that since we understand the love of of Jesus, that it's to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Solomon proved it. He said it in Ecclesiastes. You can't just know it. You've got to know him. You can't just have the knowledge. You've got to know God personally. You may be filled the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what we want. That's what I want for you is to be filled with all the fullness. It makes me so sad as a pastor to see people only getting just this much of what God really has for them. I'm so thankful for salvation and that we get to go to heaven someday. But saints, we got to go back to work tomorrow. we got to go back to our families. we got to go back to crisis and deal with tough things. And don't you want God? Don't you want all that God has for you? Why wouldn't you? I want you to be filled And I think another reason that people don't really pursue righteousness is they don't understand what righteousness is. Let's talk about what righteousness is. Two things, two final thoughts. Righteousness is, number one, right standing with God. And I want you to see the order of these two. Because some people uh, think that somehow you've got to get right with God before God will love you. And that's not what the Bible says. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The good news shows how God makes people right with himself. Not that God's got to wait for people to get right before he'll receive them. God makes us right. Aren't you thankful for a heavenly father that's like that? Romans 3.25 says, we are made right with God when we do a lot of good things, when we give a lot of money, after we've gone to church a certain amount of time. No, it says we're made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. It's only because of Jesus. Jesus is all we need. And he's the only one that has the power to make us righteous. Romans 5 verses 9 through 11 says, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship, and I would ask you to maybe highlight that word or circle it, since our friendship, because a lot of people don't understand that kind of relationship with God. You need God to be your Savior because no one else can save you. You need God to be your Lord because you don't want anybody else ruling over your life or protecting you. But God wants you to be his friend. And it says, since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies... Another way the Bible says it is while we were yet sinners, Christ went to the cross for us. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is what it is to to live the Christian life. It's not not going, oh man, I'm going to get in trouble again and God's going to zap me. It's no realizing I could never have gotten myself out of trouble. There's not enough good that I could do to deserve the love of God, but he gave his son for me anyway that I could just by faith receive that awesome salvation. We don't serve God to earn our salvation. We serve God in response to his salvation. And I'm so grateful. And if you'll get that, it'll change the reason you live for God. And and the, the realization of this, if you'll write this down, that we are made right with God by coming into relationship with God. You don't get into a relationship with God to to be made right. You're you're made right because of the relationship. That's what changes you, is changing the way that you view the Lord. And number two is right living on earth. This is a definition of what righteousness is. And too many people start here. And they think, I've just got to live right, and then I'll be righteous. You can't. You can't do it on your own. 
That's what the Bible says. It actually says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. So the person who's living their best life now, ooh, it's filthy rags. We need God's help even to live for God. And I'm so thankful that he does help us. Proverbs 14, 12 says we don't need to focus on our way but God's way. It says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And so if we try to do things, so many people, they don't follow God as much as they expect God to follow them and clean up their messes. I used to think that my room just magically cleaned itself every night. Because that's the kind of mom I had. Or every day, I'd go to school and come home and all the toys were picked up and the bed was made. Praise God, we have, you know, a fairy godmother in our home. It was just my mom. And sometimes we expect God to do that. Well, I'm just going to do what I want and God, you can pick up the pieces. There's a way that may appear to be right to you. And you think, you know, somehow that God's grace is a license to sin. No, it's freedom from sin. And if you don't get off that path, it in the end leads to death. If you'll write this down, we have right living on earth by pursuing the lifestyle that God intends. And I want you to know, God has an intentional purpose for you. He has a life that he created you to live. And the only way you'll find it is by seeking him, by learning from him. And I, I have people ask me a lot, and, and I don't even think really they're being, uh, trying to be difficult. I think they really want to know, and they'll, just, they'll ask me about something they're doing, and it's like, is this okay? Here's really what they're saying. Can I still do this and go to heaven? And that's the wrong question, because then you're still living for yourself. You want to live for God, and God will lead you to eventually live for others. A lifestyle that promotes the love of Jesus everywhere you go and to everyone you meet. And so when people ask that, like, well, can I still live this way and be a Christian? And I'll just tell them what the Bible says. Like, well, that's not godly. That's not of God. That's not scriptural. And without fail, somebody will say something kind of like this. They'll say, well, what, are you trying to change me? (laughs) Absolutely. Because I want to be changed too. Anybody else, you're glad you're not who you were when Jesus found you. Look, I'm glad that while I was yet a sinner, Jesus gave his life for me. But I'm glad that when I gave my life to him, he didn't leave me the way I was. He picked us up, put us back on the solid rock and on the right path. And we should follow him, not just accept. That's why It's one thing to know God. It's another to let God help you find freedom from your past. You shouldn't identify with that anymore. You're a new creature, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And now, the Bible says, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's only in Christ Jesus. And when we live that way, Proverbs 12, 28 says, In the way of righteousness there is life. And along that path is immortality. And we're just in a moment going to honor the the sacrifice that Jesus made that that gives us access to eternal life. His sacrifice on the cross. And I've asked him just to kind of set us into an atmosphere of worship. But before we do that, I want to highlight an account of Jesus and the woman at the well. It's in John chapter 4. And I'll read the last verse here in a second. But first, let me just recap that story. In case you're not familiar, and I encourage you, read John 4. I don't have time to read all of it, but read it later today or later this week. It's where Jesus encountered this Samaritan woman at a well, and she was trying to get water. She was thirsty, and he asked her for some water to drink. And she was like, why are you asking me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We We don't mix. And then he said, if you knew who you were talking to, I would give you a water that you would, I would give you living water, and you'd never thirst again. And then he asked her some questions about herself. Don't you know God already knows all about us? We, we, we think we're doing so good. He knows better. He loves us anyway. He started to ask this woman. He said, where is your husband? And she told him, I don't have a husband, which was the soft answer. As Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband now. And she was blown away. I mean, God had just like you know, read her life. And, and church, this happens to us sometimes. God will speak. And, and in that moment, we're just so caught off guard. We're so overwhelmed that God would know everything about us and he's there for us. But we may not really understand and appreciate what he's doing and how he's speaking. She started to say, you know, man, what are you, some kind of prophet? She couldn't really realize who he was. Not right away. 
And she even started to talk about, you know, they talk about a Messiah that someday he's going to come and fix everything and change everything. And a lot of Christians feel that way. Like someday when we get to heaven, this will all be, y'all, aren't you glad Jesus said to pray this way? Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to quit waiting for heaven for everything. We have access to Jesus right now. We have access to the Holy Spirit today. And we can be changed And this is what Jesus said in the end of that chapter. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. She was in the presence of the one who could change everything. And we have that opportunity this morning. And as we get ready to participate in communion, I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to stand just to reverence this moment. And if if you've got your communion elements, would you go ahead and open it so it's not a distraction? I know it's a little bit difficult to open. But what it represents is so important the body and the blood of Jesus. But before we participate in this, could we do what the Word instructs us? In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul said, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and in this way let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Look, when you give your life to Jesus, you should live your life in honor of Jesus. Not for anyone else, not for religion, but for your Savior. So if there's anyone here today, let us examine ourselves. Anyone that would say, you know what, if I'm being honest, and maybe the Holy Spirit's just pointing something out to you that, is not right in your relationship with God. Or maybe you really don't have a very good relationship with God or have never had one before. Whatever step you need to take to follow Christ, let's let's examine our heart right now. If you're in this place and you say, I need to take a step of faith to get right with God. I realize my righteousness is nothing. It's meaningless. And I need God to help me to change. If that's you and you want to make a a new commitment or or a renewed commitment to God this morning, would you raise your hand quickly where you're at? I'd like to pray for you. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. God bless y'all. Anybody else? Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank y'all. You can put your hands down. Could we just pray together and let's all do that. Let's all examine our heart and say, God, we couldn't help ourselves, but you make us the righteousness of God. Heavenly Father, We just come before you humbly and honestly. And we confess that we've all sinned against you and have fallen short of your glory, of your standard. And God, we did it on purpose. We intentionally sinned against you. We we disobeyed. We didn't listen. and, And we repent of that. We don't want that anymore. We turn away from it. We don't want our own way. We want to follow your way. And so God, I just ask you right now that you would forgive us And thank you for the blood of Jesus. That your word says if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We now by faith receive your forgiveness. And we live as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Praise God for those. I'd ask you to put your hands together, but I know your hands are full. But thank you to those that made that awesome decision. And right now as we participate in communion. We honor what Jesus did by doing what he commanded us. The Apostle Paul said in that same chapter, just a few verses earlier, that for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we give thanks? Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken on our behalf. It should have been us taking that punishment, taking those stripes on your back, those crown of thorns, those nails in your hands. You did it all for us. And we are grateful, and so we do this now in remembrance of you. Would you take the bread in the name of Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you thank 
Jesus with me for his precious blood. Thank you, Lord, for your blood that was spilled on our behalf. And that by faith in you, it washes us clean from all unrighteousness. We do this now in remembrance of you. Would you take the cup in the name of Jesus? Man, you want to talk about being filled from being hungry and thirsty. I'm so thankful for the body and the blood of our Savior. And the word says that for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That means you let people know he died for you. He died for me. He died for you too. And all the Bible says in Romans is that if we believe that God raised him from the dead and that we declare Jesus as our Savior and Lord, you will be saved. It's not about your righteousness, but his. And we can live this life because of him. I want to ask the praise team, the prayer team to come at this time. And we're going to close this service just opening these altars. If you need prayer for anything, we're here for you. And Jesus can answer anything. If you want to talk to somebody about what God's done in your heart today, that's awesome. If you want to pray for a loved one, if you need help you know, in your health, in your family, whatever. We'll stay as long as you need. I'm going to pray a blessing over you, and then you can be dismissed as the worship team leads us out. Anybody like that new song they led today? Man, didn't they do a great job leading us in the presence of God? Then let's worship out before we leave out. But I'll pray for you, then you're dismissed. But if you need prayer, you won't interrupt me. Come at any time, and we stand ready to pray for you as long as you need. Father, I thank you for these people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we pray over serving orphans worldwide in the ministry. We speak over Reagan and his family that are on the front lines there, just saving lives and, and representing the body of Christ so well. Protect them, provide for them supernaturally, God, and give us the faith to sow into these things, to, to make a difference in the ways that you allow us to, God. And we just thank you for the eternal impact that's happening. And let us make a difference right here in Iowa Park, in Vernon, in Wichita County, anywhere you call us, God, you will equip us. And so we put our faith in you, and we want to live our lives in response to you giving your life for us. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Would somebody give Jesus all the praise? He's worthy of it. God bless you, church. You're dismissed. If you need prayer, come forward at any time. These altars are open. Go with God this morning.